Hello and welcome to CityWire Selector Podcast. Let's talk about ESG. I'm Margarita Kirakosian, news editor, and joining me today is Rob Walker, co-head of a global asset stewardship team at State Street Global Advisors. Rob, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Social uh, aspect of ESG, I think, is the least defined mm-hmm. and is kind of like an open inter- uh, open to interpretation a lot of the time. So when we look at COVID effect, especially, and companies' behavior, and then compare that to your action as a shareholder, as someone who is engaged with companies so what is that you're looking at and what do you expect to kind of like achieve with your votes that's a great question so i think one is a data challenge so to, to your point um human human capital um is not yet well understood um we're still i think you know there's a there's a there's a, a kpi challenge there and in terms of developing the right kpis to assess this um what we have certainly seen is that obviously in the initial you know kind of back in march when um, you know we all went home uh, because of COVID, um, clearly there was a, a focus in our engagements with with, with companies on um, protecting their employees um, and and wider stakeholders, um, and and so we've you know we've had 150 um, COVID related engagements, and mm-hmm. you know kind of treatment of employees, you know working from home, the challenges around that has been has been at the forefront um, of that issue. So what I would say is that obviously the social element of ESG has been there for years, but I think the, the challenge has always been, you know, the materiality of it. So we know that social mm-hmm. issues matter. We know that, you know, kind of employees matter and how you treat employees, uh, that all matters. But as a result of COVID, I think companies are now recognizing that and are now developing metrics to, to measure that. And as, and as we start to see those metrics, we can engage on that and, 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 and do that. And, and I'm, you know, I'm on a working group with SASB that's, 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 you know, that's looking at that as well. So, um, you know, definitely it's something that we're going to be focused on for, for, for a number of years. It's not going to go away. Um, and it's certainly, um, you know, something that we're hearing a lot more from companies on. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the metrics that you can look at right now from the kind of like societal perspective, uh, one example that comes to mind is, for example, the executive uh, compensation compared to employees' compensation, let's say, and then also diversity awards. So, are yeah. these uh, things that you can already grasp and measure, or there is still a lot of uncertainty in there? No, I think that's a fantastic point. We, we've actually um, released some guidance on um, um, on on kind of compensation, um, you know, kind of and COVID basically. It's so a kind of our thoughts on how companies should be thinking about compensation, you know, given um, given the current um, uh, COVID pandemic. Um, and so we're we're keenly aware that you know we don't want companies to be, um, you know, kind of increasing executive pay whilst at the same time they're you know they're laying off employees because of because of covid and um you know we want to support businesses we recognize that um you know it's a challenging time for them um but yes we we certainly are keeping a close eye on compensation um and i think that companies are beginning to think about this and, and recognize that um you know employees you know so for an example would be um you know companies are recognizing that you know, employees work for more than just money, that, that employees are, are also interested in, you know, the kind of the mission of the business and 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 the kind of what that's designed to do and and, the, and, and that 
employees are also interested in in wider benefits like um, you know extra training or, or educational opportunities. So it's it's not always simply you know can we pay this person more money. There's other things that that companies can do to um, you know to motivate employees um, and, and retain um, their key employees. Mm-hmm. And in terms of diversity of boards, what is the work that you are already doing in that regard? And maybe where do you want to get with that work? Or maybe what kind of additional metrics are you hoping to look at when once the data sets are there? So, as you may know, we've, we've been um, focusing on um, gender diversity on boards for a number of years for our Fearless Girl campaign, which started in 2017. Um, and we started that campaign um, but basically the, the, the aim of it was to uh, identify companies that didn't have a woman on their board and we started in the US, UK and Australia mm-hmm. and that was really based on um, the work we'd done that, that you know kind of highlighted the, the economic impact of, of, of gender diversity because you know we believe in value not value so everything we do is rooted in a kind of economic standpoint and so um, we were highlighting to companies the research that highlights that companies that have a woman on their board have a better return on equity than companies that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we started our Phyllis Gold campaign in 2017. We wrote to companies um, saying, look, you know, we, we really think that you should um, appoint a woman to your board uh, and we'll work with you, we'll engage with you. But if you don't do that, we're going to take voting action. Um, we've been running the campaign for three years. Um, I can tell you that uh, we've identified more than 1,500 companies that, that don't have a woman on their board. And over three years, um, I think just over 50% have now added a woman to their board. So mm-hmm. we've made some progress, but there's still uh, more progress to be made. Um, you know, we're now focusing on racial equity. Um, mm. So, you know, I think that's obviously an issue that's come to the fore. It started in the US, but we're seeing, seeing that in the UK as well and other countries. Um, we recently wrote to um, our, you know, uh, you know, our key uh, markets, um, uh, well, mainly U.S. companies, um, asking them to um, provide more information on um, how they want to make their boards more diverse. So, mm-hmm. asking them to provide the EEO one data. This is a, a kind of U.S. survey that companies do, which um, catalogs. Um, um, racial and gender diversity throughout the organization and typically is sent to the regulator but isn't shared publicly and we're also asking companies to um, provide more information on um, the metrics they want to to drive an increase in uh, racial diversity how that's aligned to their strategy and how they and how they want to make their own board more diverse but again there there are data challenges to this Mm-hmm. So in the US, you have the EEO, the EEO one survey, and we're pushing companies to disclose that publicly. Mm-hmm. But outside of the US, it gets harder. So for example, in France, it's illegal to collect this information. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's very difficult. But there are you know, the, but there are there are definitely initiatives happening. I mean, in the UK, you have the Parker Review, which is pushing for more uh, BAME um, board um, members. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, that is something that we're that we're looking at. And so, yeah, you know, there's a data challenge, um, but we're but we're working to engage with companies on this issue. 
Mm -hmm. You're definitely looking at boards. Are you looking at the initiatives that companies are kind of like leading on when it comes to maybe recruitment of talent, uh, well, black talent or like female talent, let's say, and retention practices, or you're focusing on the boards uh, solely no, for mean, now? No, we, we, when we engage with companies, that's part of the conversation. So we, we, mm -hmm. we do talk to companies about, you know, how they're, how they're growing the talent pool, um, you know, if you, you know, if you think about it, if you want to widen the diversity at boards, typically, you know, you're looking at to senior management to, to kind of pull those candidates. So, um, you know, we, we, we do talk to companies about the talent pool and about, um, you know, in fact, you know, diversity is one of our, you know, is, is obviously one of our, our core themes. So, you know, we do we do talk to companies on this issue as well. Mm -hmm. It's not just the board level. Yeah. Um, in terms of the targets for engagements and voting, uh, are there some things that are still work in progress, but you would like to maybe expand or bring forward? Because I've heard, for example, an interesting direction is tax transparency of companies. Never heard of that before as an ESG specific issues, but it seems to be increasingly becoming one, especially following things like Wirecard fallout, yep. for example. So in terms of the big things you're working on or hoping to kind of like achieve in terms of metrics you are looking at what is it that you're looking for well we we so we lay out our set to priorities annually so every year we, mm -hmm. we highlight the, the kind of key sectors that we want to focus on we, we we pick three sectors every year to focus on and we obviously have our our core thematic priorities so you know our core thematic priorities are the themes that we think are going to impact companies or you know globally all of our portfolio companies mm -hmm. um, on a three to five year basis and so um, you know these are the things that, that the challenges that we think companies need to recognize and, and think about in, in the kind of medium to long term um, you know what you've talked about we, we, we would probably see at the kind of sector level so when we kind of mm -hmm. do our kind of set to priorities we're, we're looking at the kind of key ESG characteristics that companies may face. And so, you know, tax could be an issue um, um, there. Um, but, you know, we, we, we lay our, our kind of themes and, and priorities um, in, our, in our quarterly reports and, and, and in, our, in our annual stewardship report as well. Mm -hmm. And looking back at what you've achieved in terms of proxy vote and all engagements uh, so far, well, aside from the UN PRI distinguishing you as one of the best companies in terms of climate disclosures, what would that be that you are most proud of uh, in terms of your achievements? I would say, um, you know, the fearless, our fearless girl campaign. Um, you know, raising this as an issue and, and, and kind of, you know, identifying companies and, 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 and the outcome in terms of companies adding on to the board. I'd also say, you know, this year, our, our letter on racial um, equity as well, pushing companies in, in the US in particular uh, to disclose um, the EEO1 data. So I, I do think that we've been, you've been at the forefront of a number of issues and, and hopefully we'll be able to continue to do that. So in one of your recent reports, what I've noticed is that climate change seems to be dominating proxy voting in 2020 in particular. So um, I don't think climate change has been a, a, a significant issue just in 2020. I think mm -hmm. it's been, it's, we've seen climate change resolutions over a number of years. I think what we've seen is a change in the, the issues that are being uh, presented through these um, shareholder resolutions. Mm -hmm. So I think over the last few years, We've seen a number of shareholder resolutions targeting companies based on their greenhouse gas um, emissions. Um, and what we've seen is that as companies have gotten more comfortable discussing this, 
Um, and certainly our voting in the past has, mm-hmm. you know, been based on what companies are disclosing and where we think the companies have been disclosing their intentions on greenhouse gas emissions, or in fact, you know, what they're doing in that area, you know, that's impacted how we voted on, on those shareholder resolutions. What we've seen certainly this year um, is um, a change in focus. So um, companies being targeted based on their um, membership of um, trade bodies. Mm-hmm. So basically kind of climate lobbying. So the issue here is, um, you know, companies where their public stance is, is on climate change um, is, is, you know, positive, but their membership of a, of a trade body that's maybe lobbying against climate change clearly creates a conflict. And so um, we've seen a number of those resolutions and, and, mm-hmm. and where we see those resolutions, we obviously have a framework in place to assess that, um, you know, what the company is, is, is doing, how they review this um, and, you know, what the trade uh, body is, is, is ultimately trying to do. We've also seen um, a number of financial institutions being um, targeted by, by um, climate uh, resolutions. Um, it, the financial industry clearly has a significant role to play in the transition to a low carbon economy. Mm-hmm. What we're actually seeing is that European banks are much more, are providing much more disclosure on, um, on their climate, um, uh, climate change activities, what they will finance and what they won't finance. You know, so we've seen some banks talking about coal being a high impact sector and one that they think is, is now um, you know, um, high risk or you know, focusing more on green bonds or renewables. Um, whereas, um, you know, in the US, um, we're seeing less disclosure. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the, the US banks aren't, aren't, aren't thinking about this, but they're, they're certainly not, dis- not disclosing it at the moment. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, yes, I think, you know, these shareholder resolutions are, are, are beginning to lock on to that fact and to target financial institutions where they feel not enough information is being provided. Mm-hmm. So uh, to capitalize on this specific topic, because uh, that's something that is probably slightly different from how uh, the voting was happening, for example, a year ago, it's the focused on financial institutions. Because as you mm-hmm. mentioned rightfully, it was oil and energy companies uh, to start with, and now it's actually who is sponsoring them. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, here you are right that European companies seems to be ahead of the curve. So uh, in your report, I've seen Barclays uh, was mentioned as one of the front runners and with very ambitious targets, for example. So in, in that regard, what do you think Barclays, for example, is doing right in terms of setting its targets? I think um, what Barclays got right is that um, they engaged with um, their investors and wider stakeholders um, to understand, you know, why they, why they were being targeted. And I think they realized that they were clearly a laggard um, in terms of their disclosure on climate change. And, you know, they, they, I think they recognized clearly that investors were looking to them to be a leader in this space. And so um, their resolution on climate change went, you know, way beyond um, what Share Action was asking them to do. I do think the issue here, um, you know, is really around, um, you know, the binding nature of resolutions in, in, in the UK. So you had two mm-hmm. resolutions, both of which are binding, both of which are asking the company to do uh, to do different things. So the share action resolution was looking for them to phase out their financing of fossil fuel um, investments. Um, and, and that has ramifications because it's a binding resolution. So, um, you know, that could have legal implications for Barclays. The Barclays mm-hmm. resolution talked about transition. 
which is important because I think it is important to give the company time to engage with um, engage on those investments and to try to see if they can transition them away um, from fossil fuel investments. So I think the issue there was around the wording and that's ultimately why um, Barclays chose to come out of their own resolution. Um, one of the initiatives that you know um, State Street and a number of other investors are working on is a template for shareholder resolutions in the UK to help guide how these resolutions are submitted to make sure that you know, where these resolutions are submitted, you know, we're able to look at them and assess them and ultimately support them, you know, where we think um, it's warranted. You mentioned that a lot of work has been done, for example, on the uh, lobbying efforts against certain uh, climate initiatives in like between certain groups, for example. So again, like from State Street's perspective, what are you doing in that regard and what do you anticipate to happen more importantly? Um, so I think that I think that companies need to make sure that um, you know where there are members of trade bodies, that those you know those trade bodies that, that you know particularly where they are lobbying on climate that that is consistent with with their public approach on climate change. There shouldn't be a disconnect there, and I think that um, you know the companies that that are looking at this correctly are doing that. They they will have a review process in place to review what the trade body is doing. They will be engaging with that trade body if they feel that that it's that it's not doing the correct things, and then they will have a process to exit um, that trade body if um, you know the, the the kind of lobbying efforts are going against their um, their public commitments. I mean, I do think that um, you know again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, we're seeing a shift in um, you know the expectations of companies. So you know, TCFD was something that was kind of used. Um, um, for high impact sectors. And now we're seeing that applied to banks, um, you know, the, the, the kind of role of SASB as well. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, the data gap is, 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 is kind of being, um, uh, is, is slowly um, uh, eroding, um, but there's still work to, to, to be done. Um, and so, you know, we're gonna continue to, uh, you know, to, to kind of engage um, and 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 work with company with our portfolio companies um, from a climate change perspective, and, and just to highlight kind of two ways in which we've done that. So, mm -hmm. as you've mentioned, um, we've published some some recent reports on this. First is our our annual climate review, which is, goes into a lot of detail on our voting and engagement around climate and and the work that we've that we've done, you know, that we've been doing from a climate basis since 2014. And then we've also published our kind of um, driving action on climate change, which is really more um, the philosophy of our thinking around climate. So, you know, the way that we look at this, because I do think that, you know, of course, you can look at the vote and, and, and kind of how we voted on these shareholder resolutions. But I think you also need to consider, you know, our engagement on these issues. And just to, you know, just to put that into perspective, you know, 2019, you know, we engaged with a majority of the European oil and gas companies that we hold. Mm -hmm. um, you know our thought leadership. We've written a number of, um, of, of of research pieces on climate, whether it's on um, how oil and gas companies are implementing um, TCFD, mm -hmm. um, the agricultural sector, um, which is you know has significant exposure to climate, and you know these thought leadership pieces are designed to to, to educate the market, and and we know um, that other investors um, use this research themselves, and mm -hmm. also. Um, you know, corporate boards. We've had feedback from corporate boards who have told us, you know, we've, we've, we've passed this around the board. It's been very useful. 
So, you know, I think that's a very um, important part of our, our climate stewardship. And then finally, you know, kind of regulatory policy work. So, um, you know, working with regulators on the issue, we worked with the Vatican um, to um, sign up to a pledge on climate and, 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 and you know, the CEO of State Street, Ronald Hanley, uh, was in was in um, the Vatican to, to to present that. So you know we we, we have a four you know four prong approach uh, to climate change, and as part of our our recent um, um, release of reports on climate, we've also launched um, a climate stewardship webpage that's part of our asset stewardship page, mm -hmm. which again provides all of this information in one in one place. Mm -hmm. From what I understood, you had at least uh, 17 engagements on climate in the first half of 2020 alone. If you look back at what you've achieved so far, what would be your proudest achievement in terms of maybe uh, moving the needle towards a certain direction with certain companies? Or maybe just like if you could highlight some of the very striking positive examples, let's say. So in terms of our specific kind of successes, I think in the whole, It's, it's really um, the thought leadership that we've done, um, the frameworks that we use to inform our vote, the transparency around um, how we do that. Um, and I also think um, one of the biggest successes has been our recognition by the PRI um, as being a leader in climate-related um, disclosure. Um, so I think that's really been um, significant that you know the work we've been doing across the four pillars I've mentioned, voting engagement, thought leadership, policy, voting work, has been recognized by the PRI. And I don't think there's a, um, a kind of um, a higher echelon uh, that you can look to in terms of, of, of recognition. And I think we, of course, we have more to do. We want to continue engaging and, and working with our portfolios on climate. Um, it is a core thematic um, priority for us. And um, we're going to continue to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, you've been distinguished by uh, UNPRI for the work you do on climate disclosures. Um, so in terms of how that specific field evolved, so how different is your work in that regard compared to may maybe a year ago or a couple of years ago? What have been the biggest maybe upgrade as well in how you look at it over the last couple of years? I'd like to think that it's based on our consistency Um, I, I think that we've just been consistently looking at this. And I think that, again, um, the level of reporting that we provide um, on, on, on climate has been, has been immense. You know, as I said, if, you know, even this year, you know, the, the two pieces we've published, um, our annual stewardship report for the last few years has had a dedicated, a dedicated section on climate change. Um, so I think, I think it's, it's, it's really um, recognition of that work. And I also think that our, our voting has been consistent as well. I think there's a consistent thread for our voting where you can see that we are consider, you know, we, we're, we, you know we're, we're listening to what the proponents of the shareholder resolutions are, are saying. We're listening to what the company is saying. And, you know, we're taking a reasoned view. So, no, I, I think that, that what this is about is about the, the consistency of our approach. I think we've, you know, certainly gotten better at pulling it all together in one place. And I think that, The launch of the climate stewardship webpage is a great example of that. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for um, you know our, our investors and, and wider stakeholders to see what we're doing there. Thank you, Rob, for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.